Hey, sweet friends, and welcome to How's Your Heart, the podcast where we toss the surface level conversations to the side and dig deep into how we actually are. Hey, sweet friends. This week, I got to interview my sweet friend, Miranda, who has actually been on the podcast before. You might remember her from an episode on season one. On this episode, we got to dive into the topic of grief. Miranda has experienced grief in the sense that we automatically think of in the loss of a loved one. But in this episode, she shares how she's currently experiencing grief in so many different areas. And now, honestly, we need to expand our definition of grief and how we think about it. You guys do not want to miss this episode. So here's my interview with Miranda. All right, Miranda, I am so grateful to have you back on the podcast. For those of you listeners who don't know, Miranda was actually on season one of How's Your Heart, and her episode is called Living Intentionally in Hope and Exhaustion, and it's such a good one, so if you haven't heard it, you should definitely go back and check it out. I think it'd be so cool to listen to her life a year ago and then be able to listen to this episode (laughs) Um, I don't know how she would feel about it, but (laughs) not great. I did that the other day. I listened to it and then I was like, oh, yikes, girl. (laughs) I'm excited to dive into that. I'm very (laughs) curious what your thoughts were. So Miranda is actually kicking off a new type of episode on the podcast that is topic specific. So instead of sharing about how her heart is in general today, Miranda is going to share how her heart is in regards to the grief that she's experienced. And so I'm so thankful for her being bold and confident enough to come on the podcast to share. Um, so thank you so much, Miranda. I, I have full confidence that this episode, um, you're going to be so vulnerable as I know you do all the time. (laughs) I'm excited. It'll be good. Let's do it. All right. Well, as you know, before okay. we dive into, yep, this is probably her least favorite part. So that's okay. 100%. <laughs> I, for those of you listening, the serious question that we always start the podcast with, um, the people I'm interviewing have no idea what it is beforehand. So um, they don't prep for this. So raw content right here. <laughs> so, oh, okay. So Miranda, I have a very, very serious question for you. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. 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 Okay. So <laughs> I don't think you're going to like this one. Oh, good. <laughs> if you were given an elephant and you could not get rid of it, what would you do with it? Okay. I love elephants, so I don't okay. fully hate this question. Okay. Um. <sighs> But what would I do with it? Do you mean like, where would I put it? Because I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know. What would you do with it? You can't get rid of it. You've got an elephant. What are you going to do with it? Okay. Well, I do live in Colorado, so that's helpful. Plenty of space. Yeah. I would probably move further south to Colorado. And okay. what? I live in Colorado, further yeah. south mm-hmm. in Colorado. <laughs> and I don't know. I mean, just like ride it and <laughs> train it and do fun things. I mean, I guess I have a friend who actually tours with Renaissance Festival stuff and what? People, I know, I know their lives are really cool, but they, their friends are the ones that have the elephants. And so they actually bring their elephants to Colorado and they post videos of them just like walking their elephants like dogs and the elephants are rolling around in dirt like dogs and 
So I guess that is my go-to. Oh my goodness. The fact (laughs) that you have a frame of reference for this is insane. I I know my life is weird. That's fine though. I don't, what else do you do with an elephant though? I don't know. I mean, I have never owned an elephant. (laughs) Treat it like a dog, I guess. That's my only. Okay. Well, I guess it is a good question. Like where would you store it? Where would you keep right. it? Um, in my tiny two-bedroom apartment. Yeah, it would get through the door. <clears throat> Absolutely. Well, for sure. Super easy. Just like my couch did. It won't be a problem at all. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Can you imagine my cat, though, with <laughs> an elephant walked in? Yeah, wait, what? I mean, I feel like it would be, it. yeah, there would, there would not be a positive response to an elephant walking in. There's not a positive response when I walk in, so I can't imagine <laughs> oh <my gosh>. an elephant. <laughs> I feel like cat owners just related with what you just said very oh, highly. hundred percent. And parents who have children. I think it, it goes. Wait, that's way. so true. I have not thought about that. Uh-huh. <laughs> I hear it all the time. I start talking about her and they're like, oh, it sounds like my kid. Well, oh my I guess God. I'm a parent now. I mean, yeah, a pet parent. <laughs> sure. She's so dramatic. Oh my gosh. I don't own a cat and my husband wouldn't let me own a cat, even if I wanted one. So I'm just going to stick with a dog mom probably for the rest of my life. Yeah. That feels rude and would probably be grounds for divorce if I were married. Oh, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah. Also, I feel like I'm I'm pretty allergic to cats. Like I couldn't pet them and be okay so well I have a Siberian and she's part hypoallergenic so all my friends who are allergic to cats can be around her and it's fine how do we always end up talking about my cat when I talk to you obviously your cat is important to you (laughs) I mean yeah sure (laughs) there you go that's why all right well now that everyone knows what you would do with an elephant ride it treat it like a dog yeah like a dog or your cat I mean Mm -mm. And they don't have cat. time for another one of those. <laughs> oh my gosh. And that it would not fit in your apartment. So you would have to figure out something else to do. Um, yeah. That's all good things to know. And that you would have to move to a more Southern part of Colorado. <laughs> um, okay. That's good. Good insight for them. I feel like they just learned so much value, obviously. More about, your, more about your cat, honestly. Yeah. Um, well, and my character. I just, I don't have time drama that's all you need to know I just don't care (laughs) that's that actually is good insight for them well now that they have that insight um let's go ahead and just kick it off and start talking about grief and what grief means to you and kind of what your experience has been with grief um I know that this isn't a super probably comfortable conversation to talk about but if you want to share with everyone what grief means to you I think that's a great starting place Sounds good. So I thought I knew a lot about grief. Even the last time we talked, I thought I actually took a class in college uh, my freshman year and knowing what I know now, such a blessing that I took that class. And I think the Lord very strategically put me in that class because it wasn't part of my major. It was just like freshman year class, but um, I learned all about the different types of grief and how we walk through it and how we express it. Um, which has been very helpful for me, but because I took that class, I thought I was an expert yeah. <laughs> in grief. Um, it turns out I was not, I could talk the talk, but I had never actually walked the walk. Right. Um, and I think when people hear the word grief, they're like, oh, my grandfather died and I was grieving that. 
right. and that is a hundred percent true right. um it's how you respond to loss but we lose more in our lives than just people we lose like bigger concepts whether it's your identity or a job you love or a community you love mm. or and, and I'm saying all this because these are things that I've been grieving yeah. um or even like things that are good to grieve which we can kind of touch on this later but like yeah. I have been grieving aspects of my faith that I Right. I'm so glad I'm grieving that because my faith has grown exponentially and I feel like I'm closer to the Lord than ever, but grieving what I thought and what I trusted for so long. And mm. again, we <laughs> talk more about that later, but, um, yeah. So I, when we recorded last, I thought I had a great handle on grief in my life. And right. <laughs> like I said, I went back and listened to it and I like cringed at oh. some of the things I said, because I was like, yeah. first of all, girlfriend, you had no idea what you were talking about. Mm -hmm. And also like, if someone were to say the things to me now that I said in that podcast, I would be so mad and <laughs> be like, that oh. is not helpful for the grief process at all. Yeah. Um, and since we recorded as well, I have moved twice. I have mm. changed jobs. I'm in a completely different job field and there's like zero stability. I mean, I shouldn't say there's zero stability. There was zero stability in my life for a while. Right. Um, and so with that just came a lot of grief and yeah. it's all, none of it is somebody in my life died or, mm or a pet died or anything like that it is like grieving all of these bigger concepts so that's kind right. of where I'm at right now um and it's a lot a lot of people are like I have no idea what you mean so we can kind of <laughs> dive into that however you want <laughs> no I think I think that's so great I mean I think that you know I think a lot of people are probably experiencing grief but they don't know what it is because we have such a um narrow-minded view of what grief is we think mm -hmm like you said, someone passed away and obviously that is grief. That's absolutely grief, but we grieve things outside of that so often, but, but we don't actually know what grief is. And so we don't know yeah. how to pinpoint it. Um, and so I think that's pretty powerful just for people to hear, you know, you may be grieving your identity. You yeah. may be grieving, you know, what you thought faith was. Um, and now, you know, it's something different. Um, and so I think those are really powerful things for people to kind of begin to reflect on. And it sounds like you have been doing the hard work and painful work of identifying those things. And so I know you'll speak more into that, but I think, I think just knowing what grief is, is good for people to be able to identify. Yeah. I started seeing a new therapist in April. And the first thing I kind of talked her through how I came to be sitting in her office. Yeah. And at the end of that, she said, that's a lot of loss. And I, I was like, oh yeah, yeah. I guess you're right. <laughs> I, and I think I knew that deep down, but right. I just hadn't let myself go there. Hadn't let myself feel it. And we learned throughout this new therapy process that I don't feel things anyway. So mm. I could tell you all about grief and what it was, but I'd never actually felt it. And so learning how to do that now is where we're at. <laughs> mm. No, that's, that's such good stuff. And I know, um, kind of switching to the next aspect of this. I know sweetness is not normally a word that we attach <laughs> to grief, um, but I think it's good to reflect on like what goodness, what, 
sweetness do you feel like you've gained from the process of grieving? That is a very weird question. Not yeah. like you're weird for asking it. Yeah. It's a weird no, question absolutely. to answer. Um, because the cookie cutter, especially in the Christian culture answer is, is like, mm. oh, I, you know, I, people were just so kind and that's the sweetest thing. And, you know, the Lord was closest to me in my grief. And that, of course, like that's all true. Right. And that is really sweet, but I'm going to try to make this make sense. The sweetest part has been the conversations and relations relationships that it's led to or grown in my life. Mm. Um, and they haven't been pleasant conversations. Like some of them have been really hard and relationships have altered, but that's been really sweet to see the power of grieving and like how much progress that can actually make in your life, whether it's painful progress or like beautiful progress, it is progress. And knowing that I am making progress again feels really, really sweet. Mm. And it's also led to this, and I've always preached this, but again, never actually done it. It's led to this level of like authenticity that I was never actually living out. I thought I was, (laughs) but until I learned how to feel big emotions and how to grieve things in my life properly, it was never authentic ever it was always this thought of like preaching authenticity but then not being fully vulnerable with my life so right that's been really sweet I know that's really vague so if you have like specific questions about that great I'll answer them (laughs) no I think I think what I kind of think through is you know you started what did that process kind of look like of one recognizing I know you talked about therapy but one recognizing that you were grieving but then two it propelling you to know that you needed to have hard conversations? Like what was that kind of process of getting to those hard conversations and knowing that that would produce growth? Yeah, I wouldn't say I ever knew. I think it just started happening and it was scary. And um, I, when I started seeing this new therapist, which again, like grieving my old therapist and all of that, Mm. like, you know, more grief. but when I started seeing her, one of the first things she said to me was, you have this big aversion to feeling big emotions. And I laughed at her. I said, no, I don't. I feel everything. Yeah. And her question in response to that was, can you tell me anything you're feeling? Can you identify any of those emotions? I just mm. stared at her. I was like, um, I guess it's like sadness. And she said, no. <laughs> <laughs> mm. or she would, she would ask me, would you talking about something? And she would say, have you grieved that? I'd be like, mm. no, I haven't. Stop asking me. <laughs> and so I knew that a, I was going to have to learn how to feel things and identify those emotions mm. and always tied back to grief. So that's kind of what started the process was just having someone ask me, have you grieved that? Or uh-huh. what is it that you're feeling and learning to identify emotions? And it's funny in school, we were given an emotion wheel and we were learning how mm. to help kids identify yes. their emotions. She sent me the same one to use. Wait, <laughs> I told her, awesome. I said, you're, you're, um, you need to lower your voice. I feel very attacked. <laughs> she was like, uh, I'm just kidding. But it was true. I, I had no idea how to identify any emotions. Well, that's kind of what started it. And then as far as what led to the conversations, I think, again, it goes back to that level of authenticity. I felt like 
people in my life didn't really know me anymore because I was walking through and processing all of this stuff and they had no idea about it. So I just started Mm. sharing, like, this is what I'm going through and it's so painful. Yeah. And also it led to harder conversations of, I know you mean well in saying this, but this is not helpful and Mm. you can be helpful moving forward. And those conversations were really hard. Yeah. But again, also necessary, I think both for how they walk with me, but also how we walk right with other people who are probably going through the same thing. So they don't end up like I did. Right. No, that's so good. I mean, I think even when you're talking about the conversations, like you approaching it as this is like, I know validating that they had good intentions, letting, acknowledging that it's something that harmed you. And that although they had good intentions, it wasn't producing the results that they wanted and also providing a solution. Like this is what I actually need. I think that's such a good model of like good, solid conflict (laughs) resolution, you know, (laughs) communicating it. And I don't know if you thought that out beforehand, um, but that's such a good way to, well, there you go. It's such a good way to, to approach that conversation. Um, yeah. And also, well, and I can like give also you the feeling wheel. Um, I feel I like it. the majority of people <laughs> I use that with my clients all the time, and I need it as well because yeah. so often people say, "Oh, I'm sad," but they're experiencing something completely different than sadness. We have such a small range of emotions that we use. Um, I honestly feel like I should probably post that um, on our um, Instagram page because I think it would be so helpful for people to have that visual of mm-hmm. you're saying sadness, you're saying joy that you're joyful, but like there's deeper emotions that you're actually not processing that would be helpful for you to identify. Right. Well, and I think too, like oh, the overarching term grief boils down to all of these different emotions. Mm. within grief and if you can't identify those emotions there's no way you're going to be able to identify that you're grieving and Mm. so it was kind of like a multi-step process for me to learn how to grieve but first I had to identify those emotions and my go-to was always it's just so frustrating and she said Mm. are you frustrated with the situation are you frustrated because that's the only word you can come up with and you're frustrated that you can't identify the emotion I said again lower your voice you're yelling (laughs) but she was right I mean and she laughs at me because I use that as like like coping humor I always tell her Mm -hmm. your voice you're screaming (laughs) and she's the most soft-spoken person but um yeah, I don't know if that's my, and I think a really good practical example of this that I use all the time, that's something that was really damaging for me was, um, especially, and I, I keep going back to this, but in the Christian culture, mm-hmm. we express these things. And I grew up in a, a very, um, not very, but a more traditional church where we had Sunday school. And at the end of right. Sunday school, we would sit around and we'd go through prayer requests And at the end, we'd pray for it. And that was the end of it. Mm -hmm. And I mean, people were presenting like these very hard things that they were going through. And then we'd pray for it and people would just move on. And it was never, it was like, God God is enough. God is enough to cover this and it's going to be okay. And it's like, okay, that can be true, but I need somebody to walk through this pain with me. And I need this being painful (laughs) to be okay. And that is where the damage came in because, and it took a lot of work to get to this mindset, but people would always say like, God is enough. God is enough. Well, what you're telling my brain then is if 
God is enough. And all these other people are saying God is enough and moving on with their lives. Why is God not enough for me? Because I'm still in so much pain. Mm. Yeah. And so that's kind of an, a, an example that I use a lot of like, this is really damaging if you don't create space for people to feel and grieve right. and walk through it. Absolutely. I mean, I think that that's probably a thing that a lot of Christians experience, that they don't feel the freedom to feel painful emotions. They don't feel the freedom to be angry or experience grief or experience any of these emotions (laughs) that feel taboo in the Christian culture. And I think, at least from what I've experienced, that hopefully that's shifting a little bit and there is a little more space, Um, but I'm sure there's still so much growth. And also I think this plays into like seeking therapy as well. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, so often we say, like you said, just pray about it, seek scripture, spend more time with the Lord. Um, But there's other resources that I feel like the Lord's given us that can be helpful, like therapy, Mm -hmm. like medication, (laughs) like, you know, (laughs) so many tools that counselors can give you um, processing how your thoughts impact your emotions, which impacts how you act and how do you retrain your brain to have, I mean, there's so many things that feel like to people are outside of the church. So they aren't good resources. Um, and shifting that can be so powerful. If people feel safe to go to therapy, if people feel like they don't have to be an extreme crisis to go to therapy, that it can be preventative, which I know we've talked about, but I, I think there are, like you said, so many things that we articulate in the church with good intention, but are actually dam- damaging to Christians. Right. Well, and it, it, that plays more into the whole, like, disen- so I talk a lot about disenfranchised grief, which is more of the, a loss that culture or society or whatever you want to call it deems as insignificant or stigmatized or whatever mm-hmm. it may be. And a lot of times, like the relational pain or loss of identity or a job, or whatever when a loss isn't a death that's that disenfranchised grief and I remember like when I would walk through the a death of someone people were so loving and so caring and they would walk through that with you but if I came as a 14 year old and said hey I just lost my best friend Mm -hmm. it was like God is enough (laughs) okay yes but this is still so painful and those that's the kind of grief I think we need to do a lot of work around Mm. The, the people dying that I feel like we do a, a decent job of walking through with right. people, or at least I hope I'm sure there's ways we can improve. Right. Um, but I, and I think you knew Hannah. And so I use her mm-hmm. as a good example. When Hannah died, people were so kind to me. And for yeah. those of you listening, Hannah was a friend of mine, roommate in college. She passed away a couple years ago. Um, yeah. People were so kind to me and so helpful and so intentional. Right. But when I moved across the country and lost my whole identity and my community. It was right. like, okay, but you have everything you want. Yeah, mm. of course. And also, right. this is so painful. And that is that like disenfranchised right. grief. I think we need to do a lot of work around. Mm. No, that's, I mean, you're right. Everything you're saying is right. I mean, I do think there are definitely things that with the loss of a person we could definitely step up in and need to be more educated on. I mean, even the thought of, you know, the world feels like it keeps moving after a funeral, but you're still sitting in grief. I think that 
Uh, we'll need to learn how to step up in that and create space for people to share about their loved ones. And I definitely think you're right. Like there are areas that we can grow in, but people are still validated in that emotion of grief mm-hmm. and they're not validated in the other types of grief. Um, in, in obviously the same way you're just yeah. told that the Lord's got you and you're not, <laughs> the space is not created for you to feel what you need to feel or express what you're feeling in that moment, um, in the same way. Yeah. Or they say, well, well at least X, Y, and Z. And mm. like, I don't need that. I don't need you to tell me at least my life doesn't look like this because I am well aware right. of how blessed I am. I that word feels weird, but yeah, I am well aware of how grateful I should be for my life. And I am, and you saying at least mm-hmm. highly invalidates the grief that I'm walking through. Mm. But I don't know how we got on that when, from the sweetest part of all of this, but no, <laughs> there, we, I mean, there we are. You no, know, and honestly, like this is all true and this is good things for us to talk about. And so obviously I think all of that culminates to you've learned a lot about grief. You've processed a lot about your own grief and the ways that you need people to support you in grief. And you've been cultivating that. You've been moving forward in creating a space where you feel safe to express all of the grief that you've experienced, all the loss that you've experienced, not only the loss of someone that you loved, but also losing so many other things like identity, like questioning your faith, like all of these things that you've been talking about, you've processed and moved forward in creating a space where you can express those things, which is a hard and sweet thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's both. I feel like that, yeah. I feel like this whole conversation is both. And like the sweetest mm. part of all of this can also be really, really hard. Like those conversations Absolutely. and relationships that are so much stronger now, it was still really hard, Yeah, but I would say it's really sweet. Mm. No, that's good stuff. So let's go ahead and flip it to the other, <laughs> the other side, which there could be multiple areas, but what do you feel like has been the hardest part of grief? Ooh. Okay. I, I don't know that grief, it, well, it's kind of like I said earlier, learning yeah. to feel emotions is how you learn to grieve. And I think that whole concept of, I am 26 years old mm-hmm. and feeling things that I never felt from when I was a kid or when I was a teenager or yeah. from just a couple years ago and having to feel all of that right. <laughs> is so hard. I mean, because I get to the end of the day and I'm like, you're 26, your life is pretty good. Like get over it, Mm. (laughs) but you have like, I don't remember what movie this was. And I think it was maybe the fault in our stars. That was like Mm. something. I don't even remember the quote, but it was like something demands to be felt. And it's true. I cannot move forward with my life until I feel all of this process, all of it in healthy ways, grieve it because otherwise it's going to continue showing up for the rest of my life. But like I said, being 26 and having to learn how to feel emotion right. and how to grieve. I, I hate it. <laughs> it's yeah. so hard. Well, and it sounds like you're processing and feeling years of emotions. Like right. it's not like you're just feeling what you're experiencing right now. You're yeah. digging up and like ripping off a massive bandaid of yep. years and years of emotion. Yeah. And just over the last, and I think So there's another type of grief called collective grief, which is like when it's felt as a group. And I think the whole world is in a collective 
grief right now, whether people want to call it grief or not, it is. So just call it for what it is. Um, so there's that. And then over the last year, you look at how drastically different my life is from a year ago to now there's grief in that there's grief in which we've talked about the loss of identity. I was so wrapped up in my job that I had in Orlando and where I was and all of that. And again, it's, I have everything I want here in Colorado. I love my life, but that's a loss. And then we've kind of talked about this. There's this loss and I tread lightly in saying this and I will explain however I need to, but there's this loss in my faith and there's loss. There are things that have made me the way that I am today. And again, like these are good things, but I'm still having to grieve things that happened forever ago, it feels like. And yes, they've made me into who I am today in a positive way, but it's still processing that. And so then there's loss of community. I mean, and this isn't, it's not, people don't hear my story and they're like, oh my gosh, like that's just so much loss. This is so normal for everyone. People just don't talk about it. And right. so if they would, this wouldn't sound like, oh my gosh, like, that's a lot. It would just be like, oh, yep, that's life. Yep. Well, and I think a lot of people are experiencing that taboo of let me just push it down and process through because everyone, everyone's got their crap, you know? And so uh-huh. I'm just going to keep moving. And honestly, probably majority of people need to process years and years of emotion. Yeah but we don't <laughs> and, we sure. d- and, and we don't know how. And so what has that for people who are like, do I actually know how to feel? Like, <laughs> do I, do I actually process things? Which again, I think is majority of people. What did that look like? How did you begin to dig up this suppressed years and years of emotion? How, how <laughs> did you do that? <laughs> Um, that's a question I ask my therapist very often. (laughs) I always say, but how do I do that? Like, practically speaking, what do I do? And she just laughs at me. Um, she is the one who called out in me, like, you don't know how to feel emotion because Mm. I could not identify, right. I am sad. Here is why here is how I express it. Right. I would just say, I'm frustrated. I don't know why I feel this way. I don't know why. I'm sobbing and I don't know why. Mm-hmm. Um, and we talked a little bit last time about depression and yeah. depression is still very real for me, but there was a, and she would say this, a lot of my depression was not actually mental illness, depression. It was suppressed years and years of suppressed emotion, trying to get out. Yeah. And so <laughs> she's the one who caught it out first. I would say the first time I realized that I had to figure this out was I was watching a movie, Mm -hmm. uh, the secret life of bees, which have you seen that movie? I haven't. Okay. You better make sure you have a day. I I mean, maybe not, maybe this is just me because I was such a train wreck, but no, I I probably need to, (laughs) if you want a good cry, go for it. (laughs) But I watched that movie and I kid you not, I sobbed, not just like oh, oh, what a sweet, touching movie. I sobbed for three hours afterwards. Oh, I'm nervous. And so, then, no, it's a beautiful story. <laughs> it is such a beautiful movie. And it's a book too. So if you want to read it, great. But yeah, I went back to my therapist and I said, I don't know what's wrong with me, but this movie destroyed me. Uh, <laughs> and so she was like, let's figure it out. Let's talk through the story why you relate to this story and how you're 
she said it's very obvious because we express I think what a lot of people don't realize is emotion is an emotion but our bodies physically respond to Mm. emotion whether that's crying or for me I feel it a lot in my chest so my chest gets really tight she's like let's let's take a look at like when you started feeling those symptoms Mm. the word symptom has a healthcare I guess connotation but when I started feeling that and so that's kind of like the first step of right oh something's wrong with me (laughs) like I have to learn how to feel because what that was was not this movie destroyed me. It was, you right. haven't let yourself feel anything in so long mm, that yeah. now you felt something because I, I feel stories. I love stories. I think they're yeah. beautiful. And so this movie made me feel something. And then all of my feelings came out. Yeah. And so I think, I don't know that I'm in a place where I can be like, this is what you need to do to figure out if you're feeling right. things or not. <laughs> right. But I think being really in tune with how you feel physically, how you respond physically to different situations, mm-hmm is really helpful um there's a book called the body keeps the score and it's about how our bodies carry trauma which is a little more serious but even for smaller emotions learning how your body responds is really helpful and maybe not for everybody but that was a good first step for me and also just at the end of the day being like what did I feel today why do I feel this way what happened today that may have led to this and it takes some like manipulation of okay (laughs) She said the other day, I was driving on the road and I passed this very old man driving a very old car that he clearly had renovated, renovated. I don't think that's the word they use <laughs> he had, for cars. Um, yeah. Uh, well, do you know I'm what thinking, I mean? I'm, I'm thinking refurbished right now, which is also not <laughs> furniture. It. That's furniture. So um, someone will know. I don't know the word. Yeah. Great. Somebody will DM me and tell me I'm an idiot, um, but he had remodeled. I don't know, yeah, whatever. Yeah, he had right. worked hard on this car. He was driving down the road. The mountains were in the background and he just uh, was beaming ear to ear, top down on this probably 1970s car. And I started man. crying. And at oh the end of the day, God. I took a step back and I, I know, but it was like a happy cry. It wasn't like a, I'm so sad yeah. cry. But I, at the end of that, I was like, I felt something. What yeah. made me feel that way? And I think it's because, and anybody that knows me knows this, I love my grandma so much. Yeah. She is like my yeah. best friend. And I think seeing somebody of her generation just like so happy, it just yeah. always makes me feel good. I don't know. I, I also just really love old people. <laughs> um, yeah. So learning to identify those kind of things is really helpful. Yeah. I, it's different for everybody though. So, <laughs> well, I mean, it sounds like just beginning to reflect on it has been helpful, yeah. like forcing yourself to take a moment and actually be mindful of how did I feel today? Yeah. Instead of just going to bed and doing it again all over the next day, really well, taking you know time to process that. Yeah. You and I talked about this last time. And I think this is what made me cringe the most when I re-listened to it. Mm-hmm. I said, at the end of the day, I'm just going to like, make sure I choose gratitude and focus on what I'm really grateful for. And I think that's beautiful. I think gratitude is still very important, right? But what I was doing with gratitude was the Christian-y thing of like, let me just focus on the good. And mm. I was suppressing emotion. I was using that wow. as a way to hide painful things. Like, yes, I am so grateful that and this is an example I used then I'm so grateful that I live in Colorado and can walk outside and go on a walk and have mountains in the background. Mm -hmm. I am still so grateful for that. But if I shut down everything else and try to only focus on that, that's almost toxic positivity. No, it is. absolutely. (laughs) 
reflecting is really important, but I think honest reflection is more important than just being like, oh, I'm so grateful. You can be grateful and right. admitting that something's painful doesn't make you less grateful or doesn't invalidate your faith or all these right. things that I thought. No, that's, I mean, yeah, that's really good. I mean, acknowledging that, okay, I can take a moment and reflect on what I'm grateful for so that I remember that the darkness I feel isn't all there is, but not using the gratitude to suppress the darkness or the sadness or the grief that you feel. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. No, that's, that's good. And I can, and obviously I need to really listen to your episode now, which I'm trying to remember all of the things we talked about, but um, it sounds like I need to re-listen to it too and see if my, and see if my perspective has shifted as well. Yeah. I feel like I was, I was only a year younger, but I feel like I was just a whole different lifetime ago when we recorded that. I'm sure if I listened to my episode last season as well, I would cringe at some parts (laughs) as well. So maybe I need to do that too. Yeah. so with, you know, we've talked a lot about how all of these things are sweet and hard, you know, they're very intertwined. And so yeah. how do you feel like your heart is doing in the midst of experiencing so many different areas of grief? How are you doing in the midst of your grief? I would, <laughs> sorry, my roommate just walked in. <laughs> um, I would say that I, it's a difficult concept to explain I'm doing really well I think the progress that has made from April to now I would confidently say that I am doing well however I am also in so much pain and that doesn't make sense to people they're like wait what do you mean but I think and I had this conversation with someone recently and they asked a similar question they said would you say that you your pain is like good pain and I said absolutely not (laughs) Mm. I don't think pain is like fun to feel or like I wake up in the morning and I'm like wow this feels amazing to be in pain but I think the progress knowing that this pain is me identifying pain and feeling it and that is progress that feels really good um at the end of the day so I the the how is your heart doing is a tough question because right. it depends on the minute. I've stopped trying to analyze like right today felt good. It was like no, this hour felt <laughs> this hour felt, felt really light. Or yeah, like yeah, I cried for forty five of sixty minutes. Yep. <laughs> like which thankfully we're not doing that as much anymore. But yeah, I don't know. <laughs> no, yeah, I mean, I think, I mean even in that statement, you're doing what you've grown in. You're validating the fact that this is hard and grieving is not fun. No part of this is fun, but also you're validating the fact that you are finally feeling things that you have been suppressing for so long, which is healthy and it is good, but it doesn't mean that it's comfortable. (laughs) So you're kind of, they kind of feel like they contradict each other, but they don't. Um, yeah. I don't know if we know how to sit in that tension fully. Oh, I, the other day, my th- I don't remember what my therapist asked me, but it was something to do with progress. And I, it was basically like, how did you feel after you identified that you were feeling? And 
I was like, well, it felt good. It felt like progress. And I hated it. She said, that's a different question. I didn't ask you if you liked it. (laughs) I just asked you if you were doing it. I was like, okay, got it. (laughs) Sounds like your therapist is really good at challenging. Oh, she's a gem. Sometimes I want to yell at her and she makes fun of me because she's like, I can always tell when you're frustrated with me because you get this smirk on your face. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Cause you're rude sometimes. (laughs) Just kidding. She's never rude. She's the most wonderful human being on the planet. (laughs) Well, and again, she is pulling it out of you. She is making you identify the things that we don't naturally as humans want to identify. Mm -hmm. We, we want to run through our lives and not acknowledge what we actually feel, what's actually going on inside. Mm -hmm. And so she's not letting you do that. Mm -mm. (laughs) Sure does not. Oh, I love her. Yeah, me too, I guess. She's all right. We'll keep her. She's all right. All right. There, there you go. There's that humor. <laughs> she would, if she, I wish she were here right now to like uh, input her thoughts because she would probably call me out for using humor, but I can't help it. That's what I do. It's a coping mechanism for sure. Yeah, girl. I use it a lot. So for people who feel like they're sitting in all kinds of grief, like you are, what advice would you give them? What advice do you feel like you need to hear for yourself right now? So I would not say that I necessarily need this reminder as much now. Um, I think, I think back to where I was in March and I had somebody do this for me, seek help and seek community. I mean, this like, misconception that we have to do it on our own or we have to figure it out or we have to tie it up with a pretty bow before we can tell anyone right um that's so wrong I think if you seek help professionally now right and again like you said that has such a negative connotation I think it should be casual that you're right I want to see a therapist like my brain feels a little off and this feels a little hard great seek help but also seek community I think I would not have made the progress that I have if it weren't for the community that has rallied around me in it. Um, And that hasn't always been pretty. I mean, it's been really hard. And like we've talked about, there were some really hard conversations and I lost some of my community because of this. Um, But I've also gained and reconnected with community that supports me better in this than those people did. And that's not bashing those people. There are people that come in your life for a season and that season of our close-knit relationship is over and that's okay I'm not mad I wish them well um but yeah I think seeking help and seeking community I yeah don't even remotely try to do it alone (laughs) it's not gonna go well no I think that's so good because I think you know if in therapy you're processing how to express these emotions and processing you know these things are coming to the surface you can't just leave that in therapy. Like it has to happen in community. It has to happen in real life. And if your community is completely unaware of what you're walking through, then they can't support you in that. Mm -hmm. And so both of those kind of coinciding is so important. Yeah. I think so. I'm very passionate about it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I bet. And I, I feel like I'm a broken record saying this, but I feel like people think therapy is for extreme crisis, which no. it is. Right. But if, like you said, if you feel even remotely off, like therapy can be so helpful. Just it, yes, it should be casual. Like 
oh, okay, I have a little bit of a headache. I, it's been going on for a little bit. I need to go to the doctor. Like going to the doctor is casual for people. Right. Why is going to a therapist for some preventative work not seen in the same light? It, yeah. it will help so much if you are able, and also you won't have to go for as long if you go <laughs> for preventative work and you just go for checkups every once in a while to get yeah. like a reboost or a reminder. And I feel like hopefully one day therapy will be seen in that way, but I, I don't think we're there yet. I think I it still think feels there yet. Our generation, I feel like is so much farther ahead in that. I agree. Um, I'm sure you've seen the memes on the internet where it's like mm-hmm. um, boomers and it's like, did you hear she's going to, and they like whisper therapy <laughs> and then it's like our generation. And it says something like, yo, let me tell you what my therapist said. And they're talking yep. to a hundred people. And I'm like, I would for I sure it. do that. Like yeah. I do it all the time. I'm like, Hey, this is what my therapist told me today. Let's talk about it. You know? And so yes. I feel like our generation is and not everyone. I can't right. speak for a collective generation. Um, cause there's also people in generations above us that right. love therapy and talk about therapy. So it's not an all encompassing, but right. like our generation is making progress in that to an extent. <laughs> yeah. And again, I think as it is more normalized, I do hear more people talking about seeking therapy. So I think as time goes on, it will be more normalized. I just think it is still viewed as a taboo thing. Like, oof she's in therapy. Something must be real. Like (laughs) she's got some stuff going on, which don't we all like, (laughs) right. Exactly. We literally all do, whether you want to admit it or not. Mm -hmm. I, and I told you this, you know, in our conversations prior to this, but, and I've told multiple people since I would say over the last couple of months, but I would spend the rest of my life, especially in my like Christian world, making sure people know that this facade that we have to have this perfect life or that we go through hard things and then we talk about it after we've tied it up with a pretty bow or I will spend the rest of my life making sure people know that that is harmful and not good and (laughs) just not a thing that we do anymore and if they want to think that I have all kinds of issues because of it then that's on them but right I think in the long run it's going to help more people because we're all going through stuff well, and again, I think it goes back to people don't know how to not have a facade. Like we have trained yeah. ourselves so much to put on the like, and also we think, like you were saying, we think we're being vulnerable, but we're not like, we're only sharing like what is socially acceptable to be vulnerable about and right. not actually experiencing all of the emotions that we actually are experiencing. So I yeah. think as time goes on, as more people like you express what is actually going on, what you're actually feeling, it will become more normalized. But I, I really don't think we as a community know how to actually be vulnerable about what we actually feel. Yeah. And social media has done such a bad job at fostering mm. this. I mean, on yeah. both ends, because it's, people don't want to share some of the happy stuff because they're like, I don't want to feel like I'm bragging or this isn't right. like Instagram worthy. It's too casual. And I'm like, I, no, share it. That's what I want to see. Right. I want to see that you went on a walk with a friend today and that's normal. Right. And then also I'm not telling people to get on social media and share every single negative thought that comes to their mind because right. that's also harmful and uh, maybe seek therapy for that. Right. But <laughs> I think it's so important to just be real and stop. Right. I had a conversation recently with a friend who was 
portraying one thing on social media to like the mass of their social media but then with right. us on like a private social media would share something completely different and I said why do you only share that with us right and I didn't mean that in a negative way it was just like this is who yeah. you are just share it just share it it right. is what it is <laughs> people have a problem with it that speaks th- to their character and their right. own emotions that they are struggling with but seeing you post it maybe the one thing that makes them confident that they can do the same or get help or whatever it may right. be so if that means that I tell people the whole world that I go to therapy or I tell people mm-hmm. that I struggle with this then great right which I think it goes back to again like people are probably just like, oh, I'm just going to post to my close friends and not even thinking about what that actually means about them or what, like why they're actually doing it because we don't process those things. We just do what is the norm and don't actually process, oh, I'm actually fearful for the world to see who I am. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't, I don't want all those people who don't actually know me to see me post these authentic things. We don't dig into that. Yeah. Well, and that's how you end up where I am at 26 years old, processing things from when you were a child. So right. Take my advice and don't do that. (laughs) Well, um, on the other end, what advice would you give to your friends, your family, to your community that you're talking about is so important to you? What advice would you give them as they try to love you well? I have this conversation with people a lot, mm-hmm. um, not just about me, but just especially again, goes back to the church for people right. that are heavily involved in the church. Stop trying to fix it. Stop trying to create this false sense of positivity. Yeah. Let the pain exist. You can point out what is true. I think that's really important to remind people of what is true and if you're a Christian, like remind them who's in control and that God is enough, but also create space for whatever it is they need to be or whatever they need to have in that moment. Because if you just do one without the other, it's, it's not going to go well. And so I have a friend um, who used to tell me all the time, I would say, I feel this way. And they would say, well, good thing. We don't trust feelings. We trust God. And I think that concept Mm -hmm ended up, I know they're hard in it, but it ended up being really damaging because I stopped listening to my feelings. And so I would say, if somebody comes to you and they say, I am going through such a painful time, you can say, we trust God. And he says this about this hard thing, but also I am here and you can feel and be whatever you need to be. I mean, I had people stay on the phone with me for hours. Well, I just cried. And they were like, I don't know how to fix this for you. I don't know what to do. And I would tell them every time, I don't need you to do anything. It's harmful if you try to do something. I just need to be here. Because that at the root of it is, I think everybody's Mm -hmm. biggest fear is just that they're alone and they're scared. If you're feeling big things, it's scary. And so that's another feeling. And so just sit in that with them. Stop doing the whole God is enough and then moving on. Say God is enough and... I am here. and This is what we're going to do. Right. Which I think goes back to what you were talking about earlier of when you're experiencing such extreme emotions, needing people to walk alongside you and not just like give advice and drop you. I mean, yeah. I think, I, I think this is such a big concept because 
I think we don't know how to not give advice. Like Mm -hmm. we think that that's how we support people of, oh, this has worked for me. And I know I've struggled with this in the past. Like, I'm just like, oh, this is what has worked in my marriage. Or this is, you know, like this, this could be a resource that could be helpful for you. But sometimes it's just, and we're told as therapists to not give advice in session. Like supportive listening is so powerful, validating their emotions. I mean, helping people really, we, we're just helping dig things out of you that are already there and just helping yeah. you get to the nitty gritty of it. And it's we have very told- annoying. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but, and it's uncomfortable, but yeah, therapists don't really give advice. <laughs> like, no. I mean, and we have tools and we, but what's the way you would process it is completely different how I would process it. And I don't have those answers for you. I'm just going to help you. Your therapist is just going to help you get to that point. And I think community needs to know how to do that. Like people outside of this, you know, the therapist world need to know how do I actually support people? How do I validate their emotions? I mean, even just summarizing what someone said so that they know they heard you and they can dive into more detail makes people feel heard. Right. Well, I heard, I heard you say you were grieving, you know, the loss of your identity. Can you, can you tell me more about what that's been like? Mm-hmm. I mean, you feel heard in that you, I, I've reflected what you said. I've reflected the emotion that you're experiencing and you feel safe to share more. Mm-hmm. For practical example, I, and my therapist does this all the time, but mm-hmm. there was one night in particular, I was on the phone with a friend and I was just bawling and I couldn't tell mm-hmm. her why. And she's very much a fixer. And yeah. so she was like trying to fix it or trying to be helpful and I told her I said I nothing is going to fix this right now I I just have to feel it and so she just sat there with me but her just sitting there created the space that my brain needed to take it a step further Mm -hmm. and then I was able to verbalize like this is actually what I'm feeling and I'm questioning the Lord right now and it just brought Mm -hmm. out so much because she was just there and there was that space for my mind and my emotions to go where they needed to go which in the long run brought me so much closer I think Christians especially struggle with this because they we know what's true we're like yeah but like God is good and I needed and kind of like you said, I needed to come to that assumption and that right. belief on my own. I didn't need somebody to preach it to me because then it's just in one mm-hmm. area or the other mm-hmm. versus like, I was able to walk through what I was questioning and why I was questioning it. And we had that conversation and it was a safe space to do so. Right. And then there was growth after that. And my therapist does that all the time too. And, you know, bigger ways, but I think if you can just be with someone and for me, a lot of it is not in person because a lot of my community is still back on the East coast, but right. I think creating that space is so important and will lead Absolutely. to such healthier processing, grieving right. and relationships. Like I'm closest to people in my life that have done that for me. So right. I just need more. Well, and I think also like something that you're pointing out is like the power of silence yeah, it's uncomfortable. It. it we don't know how to do it. I mean, no. we're constantly distracting. And a lot of what you're touching on is you just had to sit in it. You had to sit in the silence. You had to sit in the motion. And we don't know how to do that. Not only individually, but also in community. I mean, we we feel so uncomfortable with silence. And it's so powerful when you sit in it, when you mm-hmm. sit in the uncomfortability with yourself and with your friends and create space to 
like you're saying, a safe space to process, a safe space to feel. Yeah. Miranda, this, (laughs) goodness, this has been such a good conversation. And I obviously like, even we've talked about a lot of taboo things, (laughs) grief, if we're talking about the overarching thing here is taboo. Yeah. I mean, it is. And the fact that we started this podcast and we don't even know what grief is fully, um, our definition of grief as a, you know, society is shifted, I think shows the need for this conversation. And I'm so grateful that you've been open and honest about the different ways you've experienced grief, not only like long-term, but recently. And so do you have any final thoughts, any last little things that you want to share with everyone listening? Um, I think a lot of this conversation has been around like really hard things and really heavy things. And grief isn't fun I don't know anybody like I said earlier I don't know anybody anybody that wakes up and is like hi this sounds like a good plan for today let's just grieve yeah but there's so much and I ended sort of this way last time and Mm -hmm. I cringed so maybe a year from now I'll cringe at this again but there is so much goodness that comes from learning to grieve and goodness does not mean happiness it means for me it means growth and um I don't I think it's really important to remember that and I think it's also really important to remember that you don't have to wait until it's over to talk about it um there's a book um Lisa Turkhurst, I don't know how to say her last name. I screw it up every time, but (laughs) there's a quote in that book and I will die on this hill now, but, um, she's, it's in relation to forgiveness, but I think it's important in this concept as well. She says, you know, you forgave this person for what they did to you. Mm. And that's great. But what you will have to do for the rest of your life is forgive them for the impact that this is now having on your life. Wow. And that changed everything for me in regards to forgiveness, but it also changed everything for me in regards to a lot of the emotion and the grief that I experienced. Grief isn't ever over. There's not a day that we wake up and it's like, okay, I went through this really hard thing. I'm going to tie it with a pretty bow and I'm done. There will be days, probably years from now that I wake up and I'm experiencing grief again over things that I thought I had already walked through. And that's true. It doesn't invalidate the things that you've already felt and walked through and processed. And so I always tell people when I have this conversation now, have a lot of grace for yourself Mm. in however grief presents for you, have a lot of grace for yourself. And I think remembering that quote has been pivotal for me in that. Yeah, you did grieve this. And yeah, you did feel this massive amount of pain. And then you had two years of really great times. And now you wake up and you're bawling because of something that happened in the past. That's okay. That's part of the process. And it doesn't matter if it's because of the death of somebody or because of a loss of identity that you had four years ago. You know, that's always my (laughs) go-to. No, I love it. And Miranda, I know that this may be weird, um, a weird thing to compliment you on, but (laughs) I, I'm grateful that you are so vulnerable about living in that tension, because I think that that is going to cultivate more and more people feeling okay to live in that 
that tension of grief. And I know that, like you said, it's not a fun thing to live in, but I think people hearing that it's okay, it's not taboo, it's normal to live in that tension will create an environment where they feel safe to begin processing those emotions, begin processing what they're actually grieving, begin looking at feelings wheels and actually (laughs) realizing, you know, what they feel. Um, Yeah. And beginning the process of digging deep, which is uncomfortable. And so I know that's weird, but I'm, I'm grateful for you being honest in that. I'm grateful for your vulnerability in talking about grief and experiencing grief because I think it will cultivate a space where people can live in that too. I hope so. I, my goal is to create the same space that my community and my therapist have for me. I, Mm. I asked my therapist a couple months ago, I said, why is everything so hard now? And she said, because you're finally in a space that is safe for you to feel all of these things. And so it's going to be hard for a little bit and it's all going to come out and that's going to suck. But I hope that we can create more space for people to do that because we're all going to be healthier in the long run. (laughs) And if talking about it is what gets us there, then great, let's do it. But Mm -hmm. I also want people to know the joy that I experience now is authentic. I don't think the joy that I experienced before was very authentic. It was more like today was fun, cool. Versus now it's like, no, I am so much happier. And I experience joy deeply, even on really hard days, because I know that I'm growing and I'm learning and people love me and I can like truly feel that too. I couldn't feel good things either. (laughs) And you don't Uh, realize that until you start feeling really hard things. And so there is a lot of good that comes from it, but. Gosh, Miranda, thank you so much for sharing. I could thank you a million times. I think, <laughs> I think this podcast is going to be so helpful for people. Um, and every time you've come on has been great. I know looking back, um, <laughs> you cringed, but I know that people were encouraged listening to your first episode as well as I know they will um, on this episode. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely. And thank you guys so much for listening. Um, And if you would like to keep up with the podcast and when we're releasing episodes, or if you would just like to message us about the podcast, you can find more information by following us at How's Your Heart Podcast on Instagram. I hope you guys have a great rest of your day and we'll see you next time on the How's Your Heart Podcast.